listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I was reminded by a, a young, young person who has been to a couple of our retreats uh, <coughs> of how difficult this process can be, this, this medit- meditative process, this work, this practice. He was describing uh, a situation wherein it's almost as if the bottom is falling out of his world. He's been practicing, he's been meditating, been meditating, doing it much more formally. He's been studying with, with people and so forth. And uh, in so doing, he's, he's been recognizing that, you know, everything's getting taken away. Um, his, his job, his home, his, all this stuff has begun to kind of fall away and now with the with the meditative practice intensifying and so forth he's also in a situation where it feels like his passion is falling away there's nothing nothing really left he doesn't jones for stuff in the same way that he used to he's not you know kind of inspired perhaps the the normal feelings of you know have been kind of dampened or lessened and you know the question keeps arising it's like is this killing me? Is this taking away my spirit? Is this taking away something that I've traditionally valued? Is it possible that this stillness practice is diluting my experience of being human? And his questions, his question is a really common one especially as we begin to intensify. As stuff begins to settle, it almost feels like I'm going away. I'm not feeling thrilled by the stuff I used to be thrilled by. I'm not, and that can be mistaken for a form of depression. When in effect, it's not depression in the typical definition. It's an utter and complete reconfiguration And this is what happens as we begin to approach stillness and let stillness kind of work its way through us in a really conscious way. We don't want to sit, but we do. We don't want to go on retreat, really, but we do. We don't want to read that stack of books we have on our nightstand, but we do. The whole time taking the practice very, very, very seriously, tallying up those hours, hours and hours on the cushion. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has talked about this before, uh, and prior to him, I think it's a, it's a, if I'm not mistaken, it's a Zen saying. I can't, I can't recall who said it, but you're, uh, once you hit 10,000 hours on your cushion, awakening will happen one way or the other. 
you know, and the minute any of us takes 10,000 hours in doing anything, and we awaken to something bigger, something beyond. Any of us who play an instrument, we know that. Any of us who engage in a yoga practice, you've done it for ten, you know, 10,000 hours, you are a master. Even if the way you do it is horrible, you become a master. And uh, when we just endeavor to keep adding those hours, there comes a point when it feels as if something's wrong. And from the egoic self, small self perspective, something is wrong. Stuff is getting loosened up. Stuff is going through a type of uh, change where it won't come back in the same way. And yet this is what happens every day. None of us is the same person we were one day ago. We've, had it, we've added one more day of experience to the mix. Similarly, in practice, every single hour we're on the cushion, it may not feel like it, but we are opening to more and more and more of what is. We become more and more and more comfortable, sometimes in really subtle ways, with what is. Not what could be, or not what has been, but what is. So how do we orient ourselves from that place when, gosh, I just don't feel as passionate? Well, your passion may feel a little different, but the ability to express it is still there. Your passion may no longer feel hardened, but instead feels open. Case in point, San Francisco Giants, what is potentially the last game of the World Series, depending on how things are going. And once again, please, please keep it yourself if you know how things are going. TiVo is a marvelous thing, okay? But as much as that's been something I've always kind of been into, or, uh, you know, you guys know this about me, Cal football, you know, it's always been, I get very passionate about it, but it doesn't matter whether the Giants win or lose. It's just fine. Whether the Cal Bears win, it's just fine. Games come and go. Everything does. There's no difference. Now we can add extra value. We can make the stakes high, sometimes artificially. No, this election matters. Or this proposition matters. This candidate matters. Yeah, okay, well, it all matters. It all matters. But are we caught by how much our mind tells us that it matters? Or can we be open to what actually is happening? And then let that openness inspire a deep, authentic, passionate participation. A participation that is engaged, not one that is divided. Not one that is me versus you, but isn't this amazing? Qualitatively, our life shifts in that moment and doesn't feel the same, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong or that it's bad. There's a lot less suffering involved, and that, after all, is what we're doing. That's what the Buddha taught. That's what all the mystics ultimately have taught. Here's suffering. 
Here's the end of suffering. Which way do you want to go? Which way do you want to go? when the bottom falls out and the top flies off? How is it that we can integrate into our own experience what the teaching says about just uh, utter devastation or disaster in our life? It's fairly clear, I was just talking to somebody about this, it's, it's fairly clear if you look at the teachings, um, and it's not only, you know, Buddhist teachings or whatever it is that we're doing here, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's pretty much cross-cultural cross and uh, uh, interfaith when we start looking at disaster. Um, we can look at it in two ways. One, the response can be kind of contracted, and the other response can be something that's kind of open. And the gift that disaster brings is that it focuses us. It helps us uncover what spirit is in really, really amazing ways. I, I was um, uh, imagining you know how they always talk about how, you know, trying to explain spirit is like trying to explain water to a fish? Uh, that's, all, that's, that's pretty nice. I like that. But I think it's actually deeper than that in the following way. It's a little more subtle. It's not just that the fish, uh, you know, you, you can explain to a fish, assuming that it had some type of uh, developed cortex or something like that. Okay, fish, water... Water is what's always all around. The fish, assuming that it had some degree of mental processing and developed a cerebral cortex, could say, yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. Okay. Where it gets tricky is when you try to describe wetness to a fish. Do you understand the difference? Explaining water to a fish, the fish can go, oh, it's it's... It's what this is all made of. Explaining wetness to a fish is what is the quality of all things. All right? And this is what it's like trying to describe awareness or taking it a step uh, with a little bit more baggage, what it's like to describe spirit. What gets us closer to that recognition or that understanding? Usually disaster. It'd be like taking the fish. A fish, a fish will understand wetness on some level if the fish has been removed from the water. It's not only that it can't breathe, but it also it, it, or it can't process oxygen or whatever, but it's also like, oh, this is dry. This is without wetness. Okay? Similarly, disaster for us 
really dark experiences for us. And some of them might, obviously we can take this in degrees. Some, some experiences are really brutal and other ones are kind of just, you know, anxiety ridden, but they're always there. Or, you know, some type of negativity is arising and we're, you know, we're, we're trying to meet it as best we can. Well, what they still offer each time is just what air and dryness will offer a fish pulled from water and wetness. Our disasters actually have a way of helping us pop, become more aware, become more grounded in what my teacher's teacher, Suzuki Roshi, used to say, what is the most important thing? The most important thing is to figure out what the most important thing is. And until we can do that, we're basically just, you know, twiddling our thumbs as we have this, you know, this charade of, no, 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 I am a Buddhist. I, I have a meditation group that I sit with. That's all beautiful. It's well and good. Having a meditation group is a real gift. But we can also hide behind that and never really uncover what it means to know wetness. Assuming we're fish, of course. So, despite the fact this might sound a little mind-centered, I really kind of mean it from the heart that when disaster strikes, we're given this glorious chance to become curious. And this is where the teaching points us. It points us in the direction of curiosity. The disaster strikes, whatever it might be. It might be, uh, you know, the loss of someone. It might be the loss of reputation. It might be the loss of a job. It might be the loss, think of the, a loss of anything. Okay? The loss of something that you were protecting, coveting, really attaching to, or something that you were just holding openly, still it's gone. That reconfiguration sometimes can be experienced as the bottom falling out of our life, or the top flying off, or both at the same time, and that's when it really gets fun. When the top flies off and the bottom falls out all at once, we are suddenly a fish in the desert. And we recognize fully in that moment we have a choice. We can, either, we can either become curious about our experience, become open to what is, or we can brawl. And the brawl in situations that we can't control almost invariably becomes internal. And that internality that shows up as negativity diminishes not only us, but everything we touch. There's a way out of that. There's a way out of that internal brawl. There's a way out of that mess. And it's to become very, very clear about what's going on. Sound familiar? Being very clear about what is needed, about what is generous, about what is open rather than being closed, about what actually carries an integrated awareness into 
whatever situation is arising. Doing that happens when we become really curious and indeed intimate with the disaster itself, with the feelings that are going on. I, I once had a situation where a student was asking me, you know, or they were, actually they were telling me, it's kind of cool, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to help me here, <laughs> was, was the response when I kept asking questions about someone's, you know, someone was laying out a disaster. And uh, you're not going to help me here, are you? And my, my response was, and actually what led to that kind of that, that prompt, was that I'm not interested in curing anybody or anything. I'm not interested in the outcome. I'm interested in the awareness. And the, oftentimes what, what's called for in teaching, I found over the years, is not, oh, you're in the mud. Let me, let me tell you how to clean yourself off. Instead, the most profound thing typically for the individual when it comes to Dharma, when it comes to this teaching, that is indeed interfaith, is, oh, you're in the mud. You feel like you're in the mud. Well, yeah, I feel like I'm in the mud. Oh, okay, all right. So how does that feel? It feels like hell. Ah, okay, okay. Tell me a little bit about that. That forces awareness. It forces awareness. There's nowhere that the student can go in that situation. Teacher, whether it's me or anybody else, kind of sounds like parenting, doesn't it? All right? Whether it's me or anybody else, it's not how do I fix this person, it's how do I help them recognize fully where they are and then support an intimacy with that experience? That's what allows for change, much more so than, oh, here's what you should do. This can be so frustrating. Because we feel like we're a fish in the desert and all we want is wetness. But the fact is, wetness is all that's ever here. Wetness, to, to just abuse this metaphor, is all there is. It's awareness. Awareness is all there is. Everything, everything, Everything that you experience in your life arises within this thing called awareness. Everything that's ever happened, everything that you're stressed or worried about, it's going to happen within awareness, within this wetness. And so for us to be able to take whatever kind of comes at us especially the negativity that makes us feel as if we're in the desert and we're a fish, if we can take whatever shows up and allow for that stressor to actually 
help guide the way into the experience even more deeply to the point where there is a spontaneous and automatic release of clinging allows for anything and everything to open us. Anything and everything leads us right into that awakening that seems so far away so much of the time. There's never, never a situation that isn't offering us awakening. Going into it deeply enough, any situation, we recognize the three fundamental qualities of deep and profound opening. We recognize that it's temporary. We recognize, we recognize that any judgment, any, anything surrounding this particular arising is interdependent. That it can't, it does not exist on its own. That it has meaning because we give it meaning. That guy's a jerk. Can only happen if we are there to label. If ego is there to hang a little tag, ah, uh, jerk. Mm -hmm. Right? Everything that arises, everything that arises is temporary. Everything that arises is interdependent. It depends on all things to have itself expressed fully. And then the really cool aspect is once we recognize that interdependence and once we recognize that temporary nature of all, thing, all things, we then start to see that the more uh, profoundly attentive we are to the experience, the more we realize that its temporary nature and its interdependence show us that it's ephemeral, that it's God-infused, that it is wet, sopping wet. So one more thing in relationship to this, and that is one of the great ways that you can recognize um, the depth of what's being offered. Excuse me. Is to see, or at least have a felt sense of your body in the scenario. If you can have a felt sense, you can have it right now. Even while I'm talking, and you can be absolutely attentive to what it is that I'm saying. You can be showing good manners and all that. But at the same time, you can have a felt sense of what's going on internally. Is there holding? Is there clinging? To what extent is your negativity, or should I say, is negativity being experienced? On a scale of 1 to 10, you can check in all day and do this. To what extent is negativity within me now? How do I feel? Is there a feeling of negativity? Oh, yeah. I'm at about a nine. <laughs> yeah, they're very good. Very good, nine. Or are you lower? Are you at a nice, even-keeled three? You know? 
checking in with our bodies can clue us into what's being experienced in deeper ways. They lead us to more rich experiences of wetness as we lead our fishy lives. They help us recognize that despite the fact we feel like we're parched and dry and we just want that wetness again, we're actually not, that that's illusory. That we're immersed continually in spirit. And spirit is expressing itself continually through us. If we can get out of its way, we begin to radiate. So, this is kind of a perhaps ham-handed way of hitting home a very simple point. And that is that there isn't anything that can get in our way of awakening. Unless we cling. Awakening will spontaneously occur the more we can just let go the more we can be curious, regardless of the situation. If it's awful, can we be curious and intimate with the awfulness of it? Can we be curious and open to exactly what's being experienced within the body? To what extent are we feeling negative on a scale of 1 to 10? Can we be that aware? Even in our indifference, there's opportunity for opening where the Dharma literally soaks us. How are you, young lady? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. Yeah, I'm doing just, just doing. Peachy? I'm peachy. <laughs> peachy, yes. I've been trying to hold this question in my head um, and not let it... Well, you, you know that's not the, the practice, Yolanda. <laughs> Holding it in your head, did that create suffering? No, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Yes. Okay, getting back to the three. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Okay, so one has experienced, say, a loss or a difficult situation. Right. So it's like, it's okay, because one, it's temporary. Two, it is, what was two? It's, it's always going to be temporary. Right. It's interdependent. Okay. Interdependent, um, as opposed to, like, something is interdependent, as opposed to, like, primal cause. Is that the kind of interdependent? Interdependent, or I'm not. I'm not sure what you mean by primal like, cause. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by interdependence. Well, there's nothing. Words. Okay, interdependence, basically, in the, you know, from sixty thousand feet, interdependence is all there is. Everything is dependent on everything else. Even free will, and like we have free will, right? But free will actually. You, right, except the the first very primal cause. I mean, if you if you were to believe in that concept of like the essential. Awareness would be not interdependent. Awareness because itself? Awareness itself would not be interdependent. Awareness, right? it's, that's fine. I'm with that. Okay, so in that sense, all the, every, because it's temporary, therefore it, it is interdependent. I mean, all of these things that we are oh, but awareness. ourselves about would be interdependent just by virtue of the fact that 
that it, it stems, it's not awareness. But awareness is not a thing. Well, right. Or the concept. I'm thinking if, if in my mind of organizing things, right. like hierarchy of, right. that could be a way of looking at it as temporary as opposed to eternal. I mean, in philosophical terms. Well, I, let's, let's unpack this a little bit yeah. because I think this is, this is really fascinating. What you're trying to do is, it sounds like, is F the ineffable? Maybe. Yeah? <laughs> Maybe? Because that's what egos do. How does it feel to be in the mud? How's that working out for you? Kind of muddy. Yeah. How's that feeling? Well, I'd like to unmodify it a little bit. The demodification. <laughs> brand new word. The demodification. <laughs> right. It begins when you recognize how it's working out for you. If you are filled with grace and ease and openness, and that's your center of gravity. You don't need me or anybody else, sister. You're set. If, on the other hand, you're finding that there's some kind of rub, okay, that's, you know, that there's a struggle involved, then what we've got is ego. Well, yeah, please. What I have, right, what, what's going uh, on? You can, you can, the next part of this dialogue is fine to have as long as the word I, me, or mine is never used. Okay. I, all right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to beat words, on you here. I'm not trying to beat on you here, but I think this are, is helpful. Are tools that We're, people use to talk about ideas. Right. Awareness is a word. Consciousness is a word. All right. of these are words. Right. So what? So it's difficult to use words to express much bigger ideas. Or F the ineffable. Right. Right. So I think what what happens mm -hmm. in all discussions in communication is. Um, trying to get to better words, words that have meaning for you, that mean the same thing, or words that have the same meaning for different people in order to communicate experiences that are grand in, and distill them into words that are little. So words like, so the question had to do with Temporary is a word which is understandable in this mind. Right. Okay, in this discussion. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in the correct way, but so far. It helps. It helps, okay. Right. And then whatever the second one was, which I've already lost again. Interdependence. Interdependence was not understandable. That word <coughs> was not connecting to a broader concept. So that was muddy. Gotcha. Okay. So All right. I think I, that's unmodified. Cool. So. Okay. If I, if, if, if then you recognize where the word temporary is pointing to, and you recognize where interdependent, just the word, is pointing to, okay, and you can recognize where the word infinite is pointing to, you're on the path. The words themselves, 
are right, things. Right, because those, those words kind of mull around here, and then they kind of distill, and then they go away, and then, then the ideas and feelings and concepts can grow. But if the Which is exactly the problem. Okay. Okay? Because what we can do then is we can turn this into an intellectual exercise. And awareness sees that intellectual exercise as being the habitual inertia of something we've built on because... Right, if it stops there and, and continues, but if you... If all we have is words... Then we, we have so well, much more. But right... Words are a tool. Words are a tool, just like a pencil is a tool. Okay? Right? Um, words, mind is a tool. But typically what happens is we get mind that becomes run by words. And words are limited. And mind is limited. And so we get tooled by tools. Instead of actually being able to see the, yeah. the expanse that goes so far beyond the words. Well, it'd be much better to just have the experience. Mm -hmm. And then, experience. right, but right. then would you put it into words? Do you understand where I'm going with this? And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like have combat with you. I know you can. I know you can. But where I'm trying, what I'm trying to actually, actually elicit or at least kind of Pull, I'm trying to pull or, or push, however you want to look at it. Locking ourselves into definitions or to make it understandable while helpful for stage one mm -hmm. is an impediment to stage two, mm -hmm. whatever stage two is. So I can, I can do my best to explain the concept, but at the same time, it's always why I keep telling you and everybody else in this room, whatever I just said, please forget it, okay? Because if you're busy hanging on to it, if you're busy trying to remember it, or if you're busy processing it here, what you're doing is you're blocking the entire process of realization. Right. But when you say something, I have to be able to say, yeah, that makes sense. Do you? Or, well, in, it's easier for me to move to the next step if I say, yeah, 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 now we move to the next step. Okay. But if, if what you're saying, I'm saying, uh-huh. And oh, I, that's a stomach, you know, I totally, uh, I totally agree with that. So I have to get rid of the hunks right. in order. So I'm trying to get rid can of I, Can I give you a hint? Huh? Based, on the <laughs> based on the Dharma talk, instead of getting rid of the huh, mm -hmm. can you get really intimate with it? Can you meet that chaos fully? Totally. <coughs> because if you can, you will see... It's temporary nature. You will see its interdependence. And you'll see that it leads you right into opening beyond the clinging. If you're clinging to the concepts as a way of creating stability, while this is important, just like having an alphabet is important to being able to read Tolstoy, you have to have the alphabet first. Also, know where this is going. This direction is about opening as opposed to holding, as opposed to categorizing and compartmentalizing, is to just let it wash. Yeah, but what if, it's, what if it's just a matter of being curious and let's just explore it and we're not necessarily clinging to it, we're just saying let's, let's 
play around with this and explore it and see what it's all about. And my job is to make sure we play around with it in ways that elicit deeper consciousness mm -hmm. as opposed to greater knowledge. Right. Okay. And so what would be really helpful actually is you, for you, you to sign up for Dokusan. Because if you want to play the intellectual thing, I don't know that I could, you know, stand up to you, but I can do my best. What I'm really interested in is not that you understand any of this. I'm interested that you have a realization. And the realization has nothing to do with words, really. It has nothing to do with concepts. It's all kind of helpful. Yeah, helps. Who knows? It's, it's a, who knows? It's a start. Uh, who knows? I don't. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate that. Seriously, I appreciate it. I want you to watch how much I is in your world. That's your homework assignment. Okay? Just, just look for I. See where it takes you. Yes? Real quick. Yep. Speaking of words, when you say F the ineffable, are you using the F word there? <laughs> <laughs> I try to drop the F-bomb once a month, you know. My mom's here tonight, so I'm not going to say it. There's no fucking way. Um, yeah, the, uh, the F-word, right. The, the, uh, I just love that line. I don't know who said it, but effing the ineffable, meaning trying to give, uh, you know, context and solidity to something that is inherently blowing apart at the seams perpetually, you know. It's like trying to grab onto a bunch of air. Okay. And that's exactly what happens when we, this is, kind of relates to what Yolanda was talking about. And uh, uh, you know, we use words and we use concepts and so forth to help us create a structure, right? But what we're really doing is we're jumping off the structure. So people can build structures that are utterly gorgeous. Edifices that are just, oh, I mean, they're just, Beautiful, you know? Uh, but ultimately, this work is to leap, it's to jump. And so, you know, who really gives a hoot about how beautiful your, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous structure is? It's utterly, utterly unimportant. You gotta fly. And the way you fly is to jump. How are those wings? <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. <laughs>